into the Word of God, we, we are continuing with what we started three weeks ago. We are talking about, who can remind me? Come again. God in man. Somebody say God in man. God in man makes us aware of who God is in us as believers. And I love the way Peter captures it in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. From the NIV version, it reads, Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Then I read from the New Living Translation. It reads like this. And because of his glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. One important word that runs through this scripture is the divine nature of God. And Peter tells us that God has allowed us, he has enabled us to what? To participate, to share in the divine nature of God. What is the divine nature of God? God's nature is perfect. The essence of God's divine nature is love and righteousness. His nature is the source of all goodness, love, truth, and wisdom. God's divine nature is so awesome that we cannot fully comprehend God. And the beautiful part of this whole thing is that This nature that we are talking about, God has allowed us to what? To share, to partake of that nature. As partakers of the divine nature, believers do not have to follow the sin nature anymore. At salvation, our old nature was defeated. And we received a new and a divine nature that desires the things of God. So for the believer, because we share this nature of God, we desire the things of God. In other words, we love the things that God loves and we hate the things that God hates because we are partakers of his divine nature. As partakers of the divine nature, believers are no longer enslaved 
to the passions and sins of the flesh. We have the power from on high to conquer every temptation that comes against us. Every temptation that comes against the believer. We have the power from on high as a result of what? Participating in his divine nature to conquer every temptation that comes your way. So no temptation can overcome you. Why? Because God has provided a way of escape for you as a result of what? Partaking in his divine nature. As partakers of the divine nature, believers are made part of the family of God. And this results in a changed life. By giving us his nature, God makes us sons and daughters. And watch this. And conform us to the image of his son. Jesus Christ. So we are sons and daughters of God. And God's ultimate goal is to make us into the image of who? Of his son, Jesus Christ. Because we are partakers. Somebody say, I am a partaker of the divine nature of God. As partakers of the divine nature of God. Believers have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Holy Spirit does not come on you and leave. He lives in you. He dwells in you. Therefore, God declares that you and I, we are more than what? Conquerors. Not because we have, we have strength. Not because we have the know-how. We are more than conquerors because of the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. So if the enemy comes attacking, the believer fights from victory. Why? Because whilst you are fighting, you know that you are already victorious. Because of the spirit that is inside of you. As a result of God allowing you to partake of his divine nature. I love it. Our comforter, our advocate, our counselor is with us wherever we go. As partakers of the divine nature, believers are supposed to be more aware of the presence of God than any other force, than any other spirit. But unfortunately, that is not the case in some instances. We are more aware of the presence of Satan and his demons than God. Our prayers are full of demons and those things than the presence of God. We are more aware of evil than good. Don't forget, God says that goodness and mercies shall follow you. We are more interested in dreams than the word of God. We feel the presence of Satan 
and his demons more than the presence of God, which you already have. We are more aware of curses from somewhere upon us than the blessings of God, which he has given unto us and which he has not added any sorrows to it. But the believer is more concerned about who is doing me, who is doing me. And some demons somewhere, don't forget that that which is inside of you is superior more than that which is outside. So where should your focus be? My focus is in me, the God that I have in me, more than that which is outside. In fact, that which is of outside cannot in no way overcome that which is inside of you. So my focus is that which is inside of me than what is outside. But that is not the case in some instances, which has created fear instead of faith for the believer. So the believer walk in fear, thinking that something is coming to do you. Watch this. Nothing will do you because God is with you. We are more aware of the forces around us, fighting forces, than the forces that operate in the believer. I heard this somewhere. Very interesting. You know this type of animal, this small is like a lizard. What's the name? Mostly we, we see it in our homes. Yes. I heard somewhere that it is an agent of the devil that has been sent to your house to watch and take pictures and messages and send to the demonic world to fight against you. And interestingly, some people believe it. I was just wondering, don't you think that when we do this uh, fumigation or whatever, those animals will leave? I don't think that when you go to a five-star hotel, you will see that animal there. But believers, some believers, thank God, you are not part of it. Believe it that that thing is taking message from me, my children, and sending that message to the kingdom world, uh, uh, evil world, to come and hunt me. What does the Bible say about the activities of the devil? He says that the enemy is like a lion. Seeking someone to do what? To devour. So the enemy is not that small thing in your house. Taking pictures and sending somewhere. He comes like a lion seeking someone to devour. The Bible says that his agenda is to what? Is to steal, to kill, and destroy. It is, the Bible is definite about it. That is why he tells us not to be ignorant of the devices of the enemy. 
We should be aware of it. However, that should not be the focus of the believer. That is why he tells you, give the devil no, what? Foothold. In other words, be aware of what he does. But don't let him be your focus. Your focus should be on Jesus and his work. Your focus should be on what Jesus has done. In other words, our message is not Satan. Our message is Jesus. That should be our focus. We should be aware of the forces that operate in the believer and allow it to manifest in our lives instead of some things that are around us. Very, very interesting. These days when you're listening to radio and you watch television, sometimes it is so pathetic. And we have people who follow this. As if Jesus never died. They create fear around us as if Jesus never died. But Jesus died. And his word speaks. He is our message. And he is our focus. So there are six forces that operate in the life of the believer. And we are going to look at it. So, we have the force of hope. The force of faith. The force of righteousness. The force of love. The force of wisdom. Let's take them one after the other. The force of hope. And I love the way Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 1 from 3 to 5. I'm reading from the NIV. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Did you see yourself there? It says this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is already to be revealed in the last time. When you got born again, you were born into a living hope. The new birth came by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death. And we are born into an inheritance that is incorruptible, that cannot be defiled. It says that it cannot perish. That inheritance cannot spoil. It cannot fade. It is reserved for you. Knowing.
age creates a divine hope in the life of the believer. Knowing that I have an inheritance, it keeps your hope alive. Because I know no one can cheat me. No one can take my inheritance away from me. No one can take him and deny me of my blessing. Why? Because this inheritance belongs to me. It has been reserved for me in heaven. Our inheritance cannot suffer decay. It cannot fade away. Hello? With this knowing, it should build hope in the believer. That what we are doing here is not for show. That what we are doing here is not because everybody is doing it, so me too, I'm going to do it. I am doing it because I know what is in there for me. I have inheritance. So when I rise up in the morning coming to church, in spite of everything, I know that there is an inheritance for me. Therefore, I will go and worship my God. I know that me believing in God is not fake. It is true. It is firm. It is complete. So I do it knowing that I have this inheritance reserved for the believer. Don't let anybody look down on you. And people question why you go to church on a Sunday instead of staying and sleeping. You tell the person, I know. I really wanted to stay and to relax and to watch some movie, but I have an inheritance. Therefore, I'm going to the house of the Lord to bless his holy name. We know that Christ will come back into his physical and natural world and rule for a thousand years. That is the hope for the church. We know that Christ will come again. And that is where our hope is. People are questioning, are you sure he will come? We know he will come again. Are you sure? Hasn't he delayed for all this? I know he will come. That is where my hope is. He will come and he will rule for a thousand years. That is the hope of the church. And Christ will come for his church. And who is the church? You are the church. He will come for you. Hope forms the basis over which faith engages us with results. Watch this. Faith works with the provision of hope. Hello? So hope and faith work together. Faith works with the provision that hope makes available. So hope is the expectation and faith is the end result. So we cannot do without hope. Look at how Hebrews put it. Hebrews chapter 7, 
Sorry, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. Let's read. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the hands of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who feed to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtains where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So hope is not psychological. Hope is divine. What is hope? You know, we've heard a lot about faith. We've heard a lot about love. But hope is also very crucial to the believer. It is one of the forces that operates in the life of the believer. The Bible talks about three different kinds of hope. The first one is wishful hope. Wishful hope. Which says, I hope something will happen. And most of the time, when the believer is talking about hope, the believer is talking about wishful hope. I hope something will happen. It is like being late for an interview or for a meeting and you are caught up in traffic. Then while sitting in your car, you are saying that I wish every car would clear off. I wish all the, uh, what is the traffic light in Accra will be green till I pass. You know that that is what? Wishful hope. It does not work like that. Because the car in front of you is also going somewhere. There's the need for the light to turn red so that somebody can pass for you to stop. And sometimes that is how the believer works. I hope this happens. It is called wishful hope. This is not the hope that the believer was born into. The second hope is the expectant hope. This one has more substance than the first one because this hope is based on an activity. Hello. So, for example, if I plant maize, I expect that after some months, I will do what? I will get back what I have planted. Why? Because I did something. So, I expect something to come. It is called expectant hope. That is why when we see women that are pregnant, what name do we give them? And what? Expectant mother. 
Why? Because over all these months, a baby has been growing in her womb. So she is expecting something. Why? She did something that brought about the pregnancy. So she is in expectancy. Unfortunately, this also is not the hope that the believer is born into. Our hope is not based on what we have done. Hello? And even sometimes our expectation do not come to pass, right? You go for an interview. You know you've done so well. You know they will call you. The call never comes. The next moment you hear somebody has taken over. You were in a state of expectancy but it did not come. That should tell you that this kind of hope is not the one that the believer is born into. It is not sure. It is not guaranteed. The hope that the believer is born into, the hope that we must manifest is not wishful hope. It's not an expectant hope. The hope that the believer is born into is called certain hope. Certain hope. This is what the Bible talks about. That being in hope, not wishing, not feeling, not simply expecting, but you have this kind of knowing that of a certainty, what I am believing God for will come to pass. This is the kind of force that operates in the life of the believer. That my hope, my expectation will not be cut off. This is the hope that the believer is born into. Let's read something. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. It says what? Now, faith is the substance of things what hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, hope feeds faith. You cannot have faith without hope. If there's nothing to hope for, there's nothing to believe for. The Bible says that We are born again by hope. That means that when the message of Christ is preached to the unbeliever, it creates hope in the life of the person that you are speaking to. The hope that when I become born again, my sins will be taken care of. The hope that when I become born again, the old will pass and new will come. The hope that when I become born again, I will share and partake in the divine nature of God. It creates hope and the hope brings about faith and confession follows and the person becomes born again. So hope feeds faith. You can go without water for some days and without food for some days, but you cannot do anything without hope. 
And sometimes it's amazing that we know a little bit about hope. We know so many things about faith and love. But hope feeds faith. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says something. This certain hope of being saved is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul. Connecting us with God himself behind the scared curtains of heaven. So it says that this certain hope of being saved is strong and trustworthy. It is the anchor for the soul. Connecting us with God. There is no doubt about this hope. There is no hesitation about this hope. There is no reservation about this hope. It is certain. It is not if it happens. It is my hope will come to pass. So the believer does not say that I hope to go to heaven. Don't forget. Your inheritance is where? Is reserved for you in heaven. So you don't say, I hope to go in heaven. I am certain that I will go to heaven. Hello? That means that whatever you need to do, you are sure that no matter what, you will go to heaven. So no demon can come and deceive you and tell you that... Eh, Last Wednesday, when I was coming to church, in the car that I paid, there was this evangelist who started preaching. And I loved the preaching. He was doing well, preaching. Hey, yeah, yeah. Then somebody asked a question. So, evangelist, if somebody sings the first, he is forgiven. The second, he is forgiven. The third, what happens? I was expecting to hear something very powerful. He said, God is merciful. I said, yes, that is good. God is loving. He will forgive you. I said, that is it. Powerful. Then he added, he will forgive you for the first time. He will forgive you for the second time. But as for the third time, I said, really? Then it means that all of us, because Jesus says something, that he was asked, how many times should you forgive your brother? What did he say? So God is merciful. And this kind of message creates fear and panic in the life of the believer. Let the person know that what you are doing is wrong. God does not approve of it. In other words, Paul says something. He said, is it because grace abound? Should we keep on what? Sinning? And he answered. What was the, uh, the answer? He said no. In other words, you are not supposed to. So tell the person, this is the truth. 
It is not right. But when you go before your God, he knows how to handle the case. So we must be sure of heaven. This hope that we are talking about is sure, is guaranteed. You can count on it. This is the hope that God wants the believer to build your life around it. Not fear, not panic, not something somewhere. It is the hope we have in God. Why? Because the scripture that we read gave us three reasons. It says what? This hope that we are talking about is strong. In other words, it is firm and it is stable. Secondly, it says that it is trustworthy. It is dependable. It can be relied upon. You can bet your life on. And the third one, it says that it is an anchor. What is the purpose of an anchor? If you have ever been to the sea or sat in a boat or a ship, you will understand what an anchor is. An anchor is a device normally made with metal used to connect a vessel to the bed of a body of water to prevent the craft from drifting, from drifting due to wind or current. So God is telling us that this hope that we are talking about, it is the anchor of your soul. In other words, it keeps the believer from drifting. It keeps the believer from moving away. It keeps the believer from moving to something else. It makes the believer stable. Some years ago, we went to the fishing harbor. And then we were ushered into this nice ship. We roam around for a while. And then when we landed, the ship was going this way, was doing this way. Ah, we said, now what is happening? But on top of it, the captain was seated comfortably, enjoying himself. So we went there to ask, is there any possibility that whilst we are here, this ship or boat will go down? He said, no. He said, why? It says that there is an anchor that holds it, preventing it from going down. That is the hope we have in Christ. We will have challenges in life. We will have difficulty in life. But when those things come, it looks like drifting to this side. It looks like drifting to the right coming forward or going backwards. But when the, when the trials hit you and you are going this way, you go this way, you are not able to drift to this side. Why? Because there is an anchor that is holding you. And that anchor, when you go here, it says, come back. God still loves you. When you go here, it says that it will be well with you. When you drift to this side, it says that, hold on, my sister. It will be well with you. There is an anchor, which is the certain hope. Which holds the believer? Be encouraged, my sister, my daughter. Be encouraged, my father, my brother. We have an anchor in the Lord. That anchor is stable and will keep you from falling. 
The Bible says that the anchor of our soul is not money. It is not fame. Good to have them. It is not property. It is simply hope. Which will keep you from drifting. Because it is easy to drift. But for you and I, we have an anchor that keeps us from drifting. When the night season comes, encourage yourself. Tell yourself, I have an anchor that will hold me. When the day season comes, encourage yourself. Tell yourself, I have this force inside of me called hope. Certain hope that will keep me from going. God has over 7,000 promises in his word for you. Wow. Over 7,000 promises. Let's read this scripture. I love this one. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. He has given us both his promise and his oath. Two things we can completely count on. For what? It is impossible for God to lie. Our hope hangs on the promises of God, on the word of God. And God himself has told us from this scripture that it is highly impossible for God to lie. So if I have 7,000 promises of God in his word for me, when I'm going through challenges, I look at and say that it is impossible for God to lie. You may be going through challenges, but let this mind be in you that it is impossible for God to lie. Hello? So when I get up in the morning, I look into the sky and I tell myself, it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, I will go out there and succeed based on his word. God is all truth. Satan is all lies. So whatever he brings your way, it is full of lies. Whatever the devil tries to bring your way is full of lies. But God is full of truth. Therefore, my hope on the word of God is that it is impossible for God to lie. I don't know the challenges that you are going through my sister, but I want to tell you that it is impossible for God to lie. You may be unemployed as I speak now, but it is impossible for God to lie because he has said in his word that he will profit the works of your hands. He will give you a job to do. You are going through marital issues. My sister, I want you to be encouraged that it is impossible for God to lie because he himself who put the two of you together will work things out for you. 
You are believing God for the fruit of the womb. He says that children are gifts. He said it. It is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, this promise will come to pass in my life. Are you sick? God says that he is what? Your healing. So whatever sickness that I'm going through, I know that it is impossible for God to lie. My healing is in him. Jesus purchased my healing. Therefore, I will be healed. Tell yourself it is impossible for God to lie. Yes, we'll go through challenges. But for you, your hope is that it is impossible for God to lie. If I go down, I will come back again because it is impossible for him to lie. If he's taken, I will get it back again because it is impossible for God to lie. You will not die young. Why? It is impossible for God to lie. He will satisfy you with long life. This is the hope that must be allowed to manifest in the life of the believer. If you have this hope, whatever lie the enemy throws around you, you tell the enemy, it is impossible for God to lie. I cannot be cursed because Jesus became a curse for me. Therefore, I am blessed. Why? It is impossible for God to lie. This is the hope that the believer needs. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. It says that in which it was impossible for God to lie, fail, or deceive, nor indeed anything else beside his counsel, promises, and oath. It is impossible. So God in man means that there is something inside of you that makes it impossible for the believer to go down. It is impossible. This word keeps ringing in my mind. It is impossible for God to lie. So when you get up in the morning, look into the face of your husband. Tell your husband, my dear, Look, it is impossible for God to lie. Whatever challenges that we are in, we will come out. Look into the face of your wife and encourage your wife. Say, honey, don't worry. I don't have money in my pocket. But it is impossible for God to lie. We will be blessed and we will get money. (laughs) Encourage yourself. Tell yourself, my brother. You are telling yourself, my brother, listen to me. Paul, listen to me. Ima, listen to me. It is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, I will succeed. This business that I've set my mind to do, I will succeed. Tell yourself, it is impossible for God to lie. My dear, it is impossible for God to lie. He that began with us in that small place, in that place when we were dating and I was still lying on somebody's floor, 
It is impossible for God to lie. Today, you and I, we can testify that the Lord has been good. It is impossible for God to lie. Oh, as a church, it is impossible for God to lie. He said he will build his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail it. We will go onto our land and we will build it. We gather, we tell ourselves it is impossible for him to lie. If this is his church, he will build it and we will support him and we will build it. Hey! It is impossible. Man Lalabush. Wow. Mm. Okay, we are just closing. Somebody, are you being blessed today? When you leave here and you are going home, tell yourself, it is impossible for God to lie. I may be walking today, but tomorrow I will be sitting in my hammer. Why? It is impossible for God to lie. I will be sleeping in somebody's boy's quarters. Just give me some few years. I will be living in my own mansion and telling myself, am I dreaming or is the reality that me too, I'm living in my house. It is impossible for God to lie. Romans chapter 15 verse 13. So I pray for you Gentiles that God who gives you hope will keep you happy and full of peace. God who has given you this hope will keep you happy. Somebody tell yourself, I am happy. I am full of peace. Because I believe in him. I pray that God will help you overflow with hope in him through the Holy Spirit power within you. May this hope overflows in your life. May this hope overflows in your life. I prophesy over somebody that because of this hope, which is the anchor of your soul, you will rise to the occasion. Your expectations will not be cut off. In the name of Jesus. This is the hope that is certain. This morning I pray for somebody that may this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus that I know that it is impossible for God to lie. Put your hand on your heart. Somebody you are here, you have been discouraged. This morning I pray for you that this hope mm, this hope will overflow in your life. Somebody, your landlord has been talking to you. Giving you dates and all of that. I pray that this hope will overflow in your life. You will not be discouraged. Somebody, you have been given a letter. But I pray that even as you read the letter... Your hope will arise knowing that it is impossible for God to lie. I pray for you. This morning, I just want to pray for somebody. 
in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody, if you are here and you have been discouraged, let me use two minutes to pray for you. That all hope is gone. You look to the left, to the right, it doesn't seem that anything is there. I want to pray for you that there is a force that operates in you called the force of hope. It will work. If you are such a person, wherever you are, I just want you to take a step. Come and the whole church will pray with you that you will not be discouraged. You will not give up. You will not quit. You will not surrender. You will not give in to false information given unto you by some people. But you will hold on to the hope that is in the mighty name of Jesus. My sister, I pray for you. I pray for 